Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. I didn't really greet you when I was up here before. Um, and so I know we've got some guests with us, so if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Bill, and it's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at the table. Up here with me on the stage, I have Javier Santana, who is the lead pastor of Lugar de El. Um, and I'll explain what we're going to do in just a second, but if you are a guest with us at the table, um, we would love to connect with you and just find out how we could minister to you and your family, um, potentially be an encouragement to you. And so the easiest way to do that is to text the word WELCOME to 817-755-1668, phone number that's on the screen there, or if you're not fast enough to write it down as it's on the screen, there is a sticker in front of you that's got that number on there as well. I mean, again, we're not going to do anything weird. We just want to find out how we could um, minister to you and your family. If you are a guest, a Spanish-speaking guest who is with us today, I know Javier and Mary Ellis, you'll, you'll see Mary Ellis at the end of the service this morning. They would love to connect with you. Um, they've got some stuff set up in the lobby, and so they can um, connect with you that way. Okay, so let me tell you what we're going to do. Because I have been a part of, like I've gone to other countries, Spanish-speaking countries, and um, spoken in a bilingual context, and it's like there's a translator, it's like you say a few words, and then there's another few words and stuff like that. That's not what we're going to do today. So here's what we're going to do. Javier and I are going to share the message today. Um... And I recognize what time it is, so don't worry. I'm not going to speak for 30 minutes and then have Javier speak for 30 minutes, too. So it's not going to be an hour. But for about the next 30 minutes, what we're going to do is, um, again, the message won't probably not, is not going to be the exact same message. We're going to use the same structure. We're using the same passage of Scripture, but yet filtered through maybe what God has led each of us to say individually to you all this morning. And so if you're kind of bilingual, maybe you can follow along a little bit with Javier. I'll just tell you, Javier is Puerto Rican, and Puerto Ricans speak really fast. Um, so, like, there's, I mean, listen, if you guys can do it, that, that's awesome. Um, but, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to share this message. So I'll speak for about five minutes, and then Javier's going to speak for about five minutes and kind of do the introduction that way. And then we'll kind of go through the body of the message, and we'll split time that way, and then we'll get to the conclusion. It will all make sense. Um, as we go through it this morning, but I hope that you enjoy it. And so just before we jump into the message, let me pray again and just ask God to speak to us over these next few minutes. Father, thanks for, again, the privilege of being able to gather together and worship you. And God, what an incredible um, thing it is to be able to gather together with different, in different languages, different um, people, but yet because of our one faith in you and what you've done, we can gather together in unity um, today. And as we spend a few minutes in your word today, Father, I pray that you would guide us um, as, as we seek to understand more of what you've done for us and, what, and more of what it means to have a relationship with you that should change everything about us and last forever. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts um, help us to understand your love for us when you sent your one and only son, Jesus, who laid down his life for us. And it's in his name that we pray, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, for the last several weeks, we have been in our series called Enough, where we began by following Jesus as he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. They celebrated communion or the Lord's Supper together, and from there they went out into the garden. It was in the garden where Jesus prayed um, prior to his arrest, but he was arrested there in the garden and immediately taken to the home of the high priest. That's where Jesus' trial began. 
If you were here with us last week, we left off with Jesus before Pilate in the trial of Jesus. And even though Pilate found no reason to put him to death, Jesus was ultimately sentenced to be crucified. And we're going to talk this morning about the event of the crucifixion. And here's what I want you to think about. I want you to ask yourself this question as we work through the message this morning. What do you believe about the crucifixion? Do you believe that the cross was enough? On the screen, I'm going to have Sharon put up an illustration for us. Three circles. And as you look at those three circles, I'm going to ask you which of those circles represents what you are trusting in for your eternal life. And as we think about that, it's important that we define that correctly. So understand that eternal life is not just what happens when you die, because the Gospel of John describes eternal life as being in a relationship with God that lasts forever. So which of those three circles represents what you are trusting in for that relationship with God that lasts forever? The first circle has the letter W in it, which stands for works. When you point to that circle, what you are saying is that you are trusting in what you do to gain eternal life, that there is something that you have to do to earn eternal life. The second circle has a W plus C, which stands for works plus Christ. If you were to point to this circle, you recognize that Jesus did something on the cross, but yet at the same time that there is something that you must do to earn eternal life. The third circle has just the single letter C in it, which stands for Christ. And here, what you are saying, if you point to that circle, is that you are saying that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is enough for you. So which of those circles represents what you are trusting in? Now, before you give your final answer, what we're going to do this morning is look at the witnesses to the crucifixion. And we're going to look and see what those witnesses, what they believed happened that day and how they, what they experienced and what they believed might help us in understanding how we ought to answer that question. And so if you do have a Bible, we're going to be looking at this morning at Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 49 is what I'm going to read for us this morning. We're actually going to look at a little bit of a larger section of scripture than just this, but this is a great kind of jumping off point summary of what we're going to talk about. And so if you don't have a Bible in front of you, it will be on the screen as I read it. Or if you are a version Bible app user in our live event today is both English and Spanish, so you can follow along in all that we're doing today. But let me read this section, Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. When the centurion saw what happened, he began to glorify God, saying, This man really was righteous. And the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they went home striking their chests. But all who knew him, including the women who had followed from followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance, watching these things. Yep. 
Quiero compartir con ustedes hoy um, y quiero que, nos, que pensemos en dos asuntos muy importantes que es para toda la humanidad. El primero que quiero que pensemos es, ¿crees en la vida eterna? Y cuando pensemos en la vida eterna, yo necesito que pienses, vida eterna significa vida después de la muerte. Para muchas personas, vida después de la muerte pudiera significar eh, muchos pensamientos en la mente del ser humano. Y puede traer algunas confusiones. Versus para otros, es el camino hacia la vida eterna se encuentra en Jesús, es lo que el cristiano o el creyente eh, cree. Ahora, permítanme por un momento traer a su conciencia un evento histórico hace más de dos mil años que cambió todo el pensamiento de la humanidad. Este evento fue la crucifixión de Jesús. Y justo en este evento vamos a analizar qué ocurrió y cómo eso trajo un nuevo orden de pensamiento a nuestra humanidad. La pregunta que nos debemos hacer para entender la crucifixión es quién es Jesús. Para unos Jesús fue un buen hombre. Para otros Jesús fue un profeta, así como Elías o un libertador como Moisés. Pero para otros, los íntimos, los discípulos íntimos, en una ocasión le preguntan quién es Jesús. Y le dijeron, tú eres el salvador del mundo. En otras palabras, él es el enviado de Dios, el cual traía y abría la puerta hacia esa vida eterna. Entonces yo te pido que hoy consideremos, así como lo consideró Juan en su evangelio, que la vida eterna comienza con una relación con Dios que dura para siempre. Y precisamente el segundo asunto que hoy quiero discutir contigo es entonces cómo alcanzar esa vida eterna. Hay tres pensamientos populares para saber cómo alcanzar esa vida eterna. Y hoy quiero discutir con ustedes esos tres pensamientos y el número uno son las obras. Hay personas que piensan que por medio de las obras pueden alcanzar vida eterna. Esto significa que al final de nuestros días creemos que, nos, que las cosas que hacemos bien van a superar las cosas que hicimos mal. El segundo círculo habla de las obras más Cristo. Esto lo que quiere decir es que Cristo hizo algo en la cruz del Calvario y que ahora a mí me toca hacer algo adicional. Esto es un pensamiento eh, relativista. Y el tercero es Cristo. Lo cual implica que Cristo en la cruz fue suficiente. Entonces, esto sería para el creyente una verdad absoluta. Pero te propongo que lo pensemos acerca de unos testigos. Esto le llamamos los testigos oculares. Personas que estuvieron en el lugar de los hechos y pudieron experimentar lo que Jesús experimentó, pero sus vidas fueron transformadas. ¿Quiénes son estos testigos? Simón de Sirene. El segundo fueron dos criminales que estuvieron en el lugar de los hechos, pero en esta vez crucificados por sus delitos. El tercero es un jefe de soldados. El cuarto son unas multitudes. Y el quinto son los, los seguidores de Jesús. Ahora, yo quiero que veamos estos testigos de la cruz como personas que conocieron a Jesús. Algunos de ellos los conocieron porque lo quisieron conocer, otros fue inevitable cruzarse con la cruz y sus vidas fueron transformadas. So what are the witnesses to the crucifixion help us to understand about what Jesus accomplished that day? The first witness to the crucifixion, this is, these are all found in Luke 23, just earlier in this section 
from where we read. But the first witness to the crucifixion is a man named Simon. We know as Simon from Cyrene. Cyrene was a, a country in Africa, likely in the, the northern part of Africa in modern-day Libya. And what exactly was going through Simon's mind that day, we're not really sure. We don't know if he had heard of Jesus prior to his encounter with him that day. If he did, we don't know what he thought about him. And it's entirely possible that Simon's encounter with Jesus was just a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because as Jesus was beginning to carry his cross to the place of his execution, he fell under the weight of that cross and a soldier pulled Simon from the crowd and forced him to carry the cross of Jesus the rest of the way. And we actually don't really read much about Simon. We don't know how he interpreted all of the events that took place that day, what he thought about them. But we do know what he heard. Because he was likely standing right next to Jesus when Jesus said to the women who were lining the streets, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And so we really don't even read anything after the fact of the crucifixion, at least in Scripture. But tradition tells us something really interesting about Simon. It tells us that Simon went back to Africa proclaiming the good news about Jesus every day until he lost his life because of his faith. So as we think about the witness of Simon, what we understand, if those things about him are true, and we have no reason to believe that they're not, then as a result of what happened that day and what he believed about what Jesus accomplished, he was willing to give his life because of what he saw. Second set of witnesses to the crucifixion are two thieves. When Jesus finally reached the place of his execution, he was hung on the cross between two criminals. And these two criminals had very different reactions to Jesus being there with him. As the crowd was shouting at Jesus and the soldiers were mocking him, one of the criminals joined right in. If you're the, the, the Messiah, save yourself and us. And the second criminal responded very quickly, Do you not fear God? We are getting what we deserve, but he has done nothing wrong. And then that criminal turned to Jesus and said, When you enter your kingdom, will you remember me? And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. You've got to understand the significance of this. Because here was a man whose wrong clearly outweighed the right but because of what he believed about Jesus, he was able to enter paradise. Third witness is the witness of the centurion. It's where we started reading the, the, the passage this morning earlier. The centurion was a witness to everything that had taken place, likely because of his rank. He's a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred other soldiers. Likely, he saw the whole proceeding from trial all the way through his execution. And did you notice what it said about the reaction of the centurion? Somehow, in light of all that he had seen that day, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was innocent. And it said in the passage that we read that he began glorifying God because he saw Jesus as righteous. 
We don't know how he came to that conclusion or what the evidence was that caused him to think this way, but the fact that he glorified God, seeing Jesus as righteous, he, what, what that is indicating to us is that he understood that Jesus was not there on that cross by accident, that somehow this was all part of the purpose and the plan and to fulfill the promise of God. We continue in the passage that we read this morning, two other groups of witnesses. The first is the crowd. Now again, we don't necessarily know exactly how the crowd processed all that had taken place that day. Uh, I'm sure that they didn't know what to think or what to believe, but we read that as they left, they went home beating their chests, horrified by what they saw. And it's likely that the same group of people were also the ones who were shouting at, during the trial scene of Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. But yet by the end of the day, they realized that something tragic had taken place. And they were horrified to have been a part of it. Now exactly what they believed, what they thought, we don't know. But they recognized that something wrong had taken place. The last group of witnesses are those who knew Jesus, those who were close to him, including women who followed at a distance. I think it's hard for us to put ourselves in their shoes to think about how they felt in those moments because they watched their Lord and Savior die. They, at one point, had been so eager for his kingdom to come, but now Jesus is gone. So they probably didn't know what to think. They wondered, had they just wasted the last two plus years of their lives? Like, what would they do now? What did all of this mean? Where were they going as a result of all of this? And in those moments, I'm sure that there were far more questions than there were answers. But yet soon, the answers would come. Because on the third day, some of those same women made their way to the tomb. And they found that the tomb was empty. And they came to realize that Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. So in the moment of the crucifixion, maybe there were lots of questions with few answers. But soon they would come to understand that that was not the end. The crucifixion was really only the beginning. Jesus had, in fact, risen from the dead. So now the question for us is, based on what they understood, what do we believe? Le voy a pedir que me acompañen al libro de Lucas, capítulo 23, versículos del 44 al 49. Y quiero tra- traer un trasfondo histórico para poder entender estos witnesses, estos testigos, y ver qué ellos vieron en ese momento de la crucifixión que nos pueden ayudar a entender más con claridad lo que nosotros deberíamos entender en este tiempo. Y dice la palabra del Señor en el versículo 44, desde el mediodía y hasta la media tarde, toda la tierra quedó sumida en oscuridad, pues el sol se ocultó y la cortina del santuario del templo se rasgó en dos. Entonces Jesús exclamó con fuerza, Padre, en tus manos encomiendo mi espíritu. Y al decir esto, expiró. El centurión, al ver lo que había sucedido, alabó a Dios y dijo verdaderamente este hombre era justo 
Entonces los que se habían reunido para presenciar aquel espectáculo, al ver lo ocurrido, se fueron de allí golpeándose el pecho. Pero todos los que conocían a Jesús, incluso las mujeres que lo habían seguido desde Galilea, se quedaron mirando desde lejos. El primer, los primeros testigos que queremos hablar es Simón. Permítanme decirle que Simón no se encuentra en este texto bíblico, se encuentra, se encuentra un poco adelante o antes, quisiera decir. Pero resulta que Simón dice que era Simón de Sirene porque Sirene es un país, o en aquel momento era un país al norte de África. Esto es lo que es actualmente Libia, pudiéramos decirlo para ponerle un punto geográfico. Pero ¿qué nos dice la Biblia con respecto a Simón? Es que Simón no era de ese lugar. En otras palabras, Simón fue a Jerusalén con el fin de, de participar en la fiesta de las Pascuas. Y estando allí en Jerusalén, se encuentra con el proceso de crucifixión. Y es allí donde Simón, sin saberlo, fue el seleccionado por un soldado para que él cargase la cruz de Jesús. Permítanme decirles que la cruz de Jesús, él la tuvo que cargar porque fue tan brutal el suceso de crucifixión para Jesús que Jesús no pudo hacerlo y escogieron a Simón para que lo ayudara a cargar su cruz. Se le obligó a Simón a cargar una cruz que él no escogió cargarla. Pero vemos que la tradición nos dice que una vez ocurre este suceso, Simón vuelve otra vez a África, predica el evangelio porque es imposible cruzarse con la cruz sin que ocurra un cambio en tu vida. Este es el primer testigo del cual quiero ¿verdad? traer a tu, a tu conciencia. El segundo testigo son dos criminales. Dice la palabra del Señor que estos dos criminales, uno de ellos se burla y le dice a Jesús, ¿eres tú el Cristo? Sálvate a ti y sálvanos a nosotros. Pero el otro criminal lo reprende y le dice, no, estamos al punto de la muerte y todavía no te arrepientes. Estoy parafraseando un poco la escritura. Y le dice, Señor, cuando vayas a tu reino, acuérdate de mí. Y en ese momento, por causa de reconocer a Jesús, Jesús le dijo, a partir de hoy estarás conmigo en el paraíso. Piense por un momento en este segundo testigo. Por reconocer a Cristo de un camino de oscuridad y un destino de oscuridad, cambia a un destino de paraíso. El tercer testigo, dice las Escrituras, que, fueron, que fue a un soldado eh, romano. Este soldado romano vio todo lo sucedido antes, durante y después de la cruz o el proceso de crucifixión. Pero la palabra enseña que al final, y es del cual leímos, él pudo glorificar a Dios. En otras palabras, él pudo reconocer que ese hombre que estaba siendo crucificado en aquella cruz del Calvario realmente era el Hijo de Dios y que en él había un cumplimiento para la humanidad. El cuarto testigo fueron las multitudes. Me llama la atención porque las multitudes estaban confundidas. Ellas estaban horrorizadas. Ellas se golpeaban el pecho. Esto significa que tenían dolor en su corazón. Y resulta que tenían dolor en su corazón porque no sabían si habían tomado la mejor decisión. Porque en una ocasión ellos estaban viendo a Jesús hacer milagros, pero en otra ocasión estaban clamando para que lo, crucifija, lo, lo crucifijaran. Y en ese momento la multitud se confundió. Esto habla del de mundo que vive en confusión y que vive con heridas en sus corazones. 
por no reconocer la verdad que se encuentra en Cristo Jesús. El último testigo fueron los seguidores de Cristo. Estos seguidores anduvieron con Jesús. Pero en un momento dado dice que ellos miraban de lejos. Yo quiero traer a tu conciencia que mirar de lejos, cuando a veces nos quedamos fijamente mirando de lejos, muchas preguntas vienen a la mente y no hay contestación. ¿Te ha pasado? En algún momento dado te has quedado mirando y no has tenido respuesta. Ahí se encontraban los discípulos de Jesús y los seguidores. Resulta que al final de los caminos o al final del tiempo, ellos pudieron ver a ese Jesús que murió en la cruz del Calvario, luego crucificado. Entonces ellos tuvieron la esperanza de que Jesús sí cumpliría lo que un día dijo que iba a ocurrir. Estos cinco testigos nos enseñan, estos cinco testigos de la cruz nos enseñan cuál debería ser nuestra mirada hacia nuestra vida eterna. Te pregunto, ¿qué crees hoy en la vida eterna? ¿Crees que la cruz es suficiente? So based on the testimony of the witnesses, what do you believe about the crucifixion? Do you believe that the cross is enough? I want to go back to our circle illustration that we started with this morning. Which of the three circles represents what you are trusting in to have that relationship with God that lasts forever? See, some of you might point to the first circle, the circle that's got the W inside, which represents works. And what you believe when you're pointing to that circle is that there is, you have to do something in order to earn that relationship with God. That there is something that you have to do. And by the nature of pointing to that circle at the same time, what you're saying is because it's completely up to you to earn a relationship with God, what you're saying is that Jesus' death was pointless. That all of the suffering that he endured, the punishment that he endured, the pain that he endured was for no reason at all. Because the cross did nothing, we have to do everything. And I will just tell you, from my perspective, if that's the religious system that we have, then that is not one that I want anything to do with. That if you were to tell me that you believe that there is a God who would put his son through that kind of pain and torture and there was no reason behind it at all, I want nothing to do with it. So for me, it can't be that circle. Others of you might point to the middle circle where that represents Christ plus works. And so when you point to this circle, you're saying that the crucifixion accomplished something, but yet at the same time that there is something that we have to do. If Jesus started something, there's something that we have to do to finish uh, what is necessary to gain eternal life, that relationship with God. And I'll be honest, when you point to that circle, it makes complete sense to me. The reason being because we've learned in life that nothing is free. And so as a performer, meaning like, hey, just tell me what it is, the, what, what the expectations are, and I will meet or exceed those expectations, if at all possible. I just want to know, hey, tell me what I have to do. It's okay. I will do it or do the very best that I can to do it. But here's the problem with pointing to that circle. There is no hope. 
Because what you're saying is if Jesus did something, but yet at the same time there's something that we have to do, and the Bible is not clear on exactly what that is that we have to do, then we never know if we have done enough. When you point to that middle circle, you're saying that the cross isn't enough, that Jesus isn't enough, and for the rest of your life, you will wonder whether or not you have done enough. You will be plagued constantly with the question, am I enough? And there's no assurance, there's no hope in that at all. But thankfully, there's one other circle. It's the circle that represents Christ alone. And when you point to that circle, what you are saying is that when I could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything so that I could have a relationship with God that changes everything about me and lasts forever. And I will tell you from my perspective, this is what the Bible points to over and over and over again. We read this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. It's not at all about we, what we do. It is about everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. I believe that the cross is enough. And that is all that is needed to secure our eternal life, that relationship with God that lasts forever. But it's not just about what I believe. The question is, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is enough for you? Ahora que tenemos un panorama un poco más claro acerca de estos witnesses, estos testigos uh, oculares de la cruz, yo quiero preguntarte nuevamente, ¿crees en la vida eterna? Quiero preguntarte, ¿cómo crees que esa vida eterna se hace real en tu vida? Para esto quiero traer los tres círculos que hemos estado mirando acerca de los pensamientos populares. Y el primer círculo habla de las obras. Las obras, en este caso, es pensar que aún la muerte de Cristo y en la cruz del Calvario como fue tan atroz y cruel, pensar que no fue suficiente. Entonces, en este pensamiento tengo mucho temor porque pensar que Cristo no fue suficiente en esa cruz como piensan las obras, que yo tengo que hacer algo para alcanzar esa vida eterna, entonces es no entender el valor y el significado real de esa cruz. El segundo es las obras más Cristo. Y en este caso es cuando entendemos que Cristo hizo algo y ahora yo necesito hacer algo adicional. El problema de hacer algo adicional es que yo no sé cuándo yo he hecho lo suficiente para alcanzar esa vida eterna. En este, en este punto donde se encuentran personas que no saben cómo, cómo, que no entienden cómo ellos pueden saber si son realmente eh, salvos o no son salvos, no tienen vida eterna. Pero el tercero es Cristo. Y aquí, este punto quiero simplemente puntualizarlo. Y es que en Cristo es cuando yo entiendo que la obra de Él en la cruz fue suficiente. Cuando yo entiendo que Cristo fue suficiente. Cuando yo entiendo que Él es suficiente. Algo que me llama la atención de todos los witnesses, de todos los testigos, fue lo siguiente. Y algo que yo quiero traer a tu memoria antes de despedirnos hoy de este lugar y quiero que te lleves como pensamiento, es que estos testigos fueron transformados. 
su manera de pensar fue transformada. Y yo espero que al partir de hoy, tu forma de pensar acerca de la cruz sea transformada. Romanos capítulo 12, versículo 12, escrito está. No os moldéis a este mundo actual, sino que sean transformados mediante la renovación de vuestra mente. Así podrán comprender cuál es la buena voluntad de Dios, agradable y perfecta. Pregunto, ¿crees en la vida eterna? ¿Crees que la cruz es suficiente? Señor, te damos gracias. Gracias porque tú moriste en la cruz del Calvario hace más de dos mil años. Gracias porque como aquel hombre criminal que estuvo a punto de llegar a la oscuridad pero tuvo un reconocimiento y por causa de reconocerte tú le abriste la puerta a una vida eterna. Yo te pido para que hoy los que estamos aquí reunidos podamos entender que si reconocemos Cristo Jesús en nuestra vida, en nuestro corazón. Nuestra vida va a ser diferente. Nuestra manera de pensar va a ser diferente. Nuestra manera de actuar va a ser diferente. Porque como Juan dijo en su evangelio. Hoy comienza una relación con Dios que dura para siempre. Esa para nosotros es nuestra vida eterna Señor. Que te podamos conocer a ti como el único Dios verdadero. Y a Jesucristo como el Hijo amado tuyo. Gracias Señor. Porque creo que dije lo que me dijiste que dijera. Y gracias Espíritu de Dios. Porque tú eres quien tocas y transformas las vidas hoy en este lugar. En el nombre de Jesús. Amén.